The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined, as always, by Nick Harris, uh, coming to you live with our Signing Day Spectacular uh, recap show. Uh, before we get into everything, Nick, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. You know, got a pretty uh, low-key um, Signing Day, so uh, ready to get that out of the way and then get ready for what's next. Low-key in numbers for sure, but, um, you know, big in what they did get. And uh, that is uh, finishing with five-star offensive lineman Devon Campbell. Texas has um, been chasing Devon Campbell since his sophomore year. I think I've had a crystal ball in for almost two years at this point uh, for the Longhorns. And though it was a long and winding road to get there, uh, Texas is is there. They they've landed the number one interior offensive lineman in this in the country, the number one offensive lineman in the state of Texas, and a guy with college ready size who can come in and contribute right away. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle Flood did a fantastic job putting this offensive line class together, and uh, just just based on what he signed in December, but being able to add Devon Campbell into that mix, who's the top offensive lineman in the state of Texas. I mean, you're going to take that ten times out of ten, but. Uh, Devon's a real bruiser. I feel like he can, you know, play inside or outside, but I think he probably projects inside. Uh, I mean, there's videos we've posted from games that we've been out of his of him just mauling kids. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that can step in day one and, and be ready to compete for a starting job uh, potentially next year. Um, you know, him coming in in the summer may delay that process, but I still feel like he has a pretty good shot at doing that. Um, but nevertheless, a really good signing day ad for, for Kyle Flood in this offensive line. I feel like it'll really help recruiting future classes as well, being able to get two five-star linemen in the, uh, in the mix and then being able to throw them or have the potential to throw them on the field early. I think that's going to help a ton. He's a tone setter. I mean, he's a guy that really, when he hits the field, you know, he's always at plays at a certain level and you, you kind of always know what it's going to be with him. He's, um, every time we've seen him in any sort of competition or competitive setting, you know, he's been one of the best guys there. He's been one of the meanest guys there, typically. Uh, nice, very nice kid off the field. But um, when, when you get the helmet on, he is a guy that will punish you. Uh, actually signed in December. So uh, this one's been done for a while. No stress on the part of the Texas staff. Uh, but Campbell holding his commitment until now and not letting that get out is kind of impressive, especially considering that on Monday night, somebody actually tweeted a picture of his signature in the NCAA database. Um, it was up for about 45 minutes and nobody caught on to it. Uh, so I thought it was for sure going to leak that night. Uh, it didn't. And so uh, good for Devon. He got to, to have his moment and, and have his announcement the way he wanted to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like we've been kind of trying to keep it quiet, I guess, for the last two months or so, however long we've known. So uh, I'm glad that part's over too. <laughs> yeah, it puts us, it's a really tough position because there are people who ask us straight up and we don't want to lie to our readers, um, but we also just, we're in a position where we can, you know, if we're asked in that situation not to by multiple, multiple people, you know, our hands are kind of tied on the situation. So, um, and I'm sure know, our readers understand at the end of the day, if you don't, yeah. Hit me up. <laughs> well, also, like if you're mad about that today, when you just 
landed another five star offensive lineman, uh, you know, figure something, figure something else out. Um, and that kind of leads me into the recruiting class as a whole. Uh, this class, Steve Sarkeesian's first cycle, it checks a lot of boxes. There are uh, still a couple of positions that I look at and think, well, they could have done better. But all in all, going into the year, we need to get a lot better. You know, if, if you're if you're Steve Sarkeesian, you say we need to get a lot better at offensive line. Well, they've done that. They signed a seven man class, uh, probably the most talented offensive line class in the last decade uh, at Texas. Uh, we need to get a lot better on the defensive line. They did that. They signed a really strong group uh, with a lot of versatility, edge guys, inside guys. We need to get stronger in the secondary. Well, they did that. They added six guys there. Um, you know, we need playmakers. Uh, I, I think the, the part you could probably nitpick was is receiver recruiting. And I think that adding Jaleel Billingsley at tight end and uh, Isaiah Naor at, in the transfer portal, who has three years of eligibility left, kind of helps that out and nullifies that a little bit. Um, and then you look at linebacker and say, maybe we could, we could have a little more there, but I think that was a spot that was squeezed, um, you know, when they wanted to get more numbers in elsewhere. But all in all, when you talk about what this class is top to bottom from the high school talent to getting a guy like Quinn Ewers, um, who could be a potentially program changing quarterback, uh, you got to love what Steve Sarkeesian did in his first full year. Yeah, absolutely. This is more than more than a success if you're looking at it from that end. Uh, being Steve Sarkeesian's first full cycle, he was able to you know bring in guys. There were bumps along the road, but you know he was able to sign most of the guys that he he wanted at the end, especially on that offensive line. Uh, but if you're looking forward to 2023 and maybe some you know uh, positions that they maybe didn't recruit you know spectacularly at um, and, and this cycle, you mentioned receiver for sure. Um, and with the in-state receiver group that we have in 2023. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, Texas has a pretty good shot at, at least signing a pretty good group there. You can look at the linebacker group, um, which I, I think we have a question in the mailbag later about uh, linebackers in 2023. So I'll save it for that. But, you know, there's some guys that um, Texas can grab in that position group. The secondary, you know, while they did sign six guys, um, you know, I feel like they're going to have to continue to add bodies in the, in the secondary room, uh, just get some fresh faces in there and get some guys that are you know ready to play uh, pretty early. So. But all in all, like you said, I think this is a really successful first class for Steve Sarkeesian. He got a top five class in the country, number one in the Big 12, um, was able to sign a couple of five-star linemen. And if you're looking at it from a transfer perspective, was able to bring in Jaleel Billingsley and Isaiah Nayor to kind of help negate the pass catcher uh, problem that they had in high school recruiting in 2022 while adding Quinn Ewers. So, um, you know, all in all, I give it an A rating. Let's go around the board a little bit here and just kind of talk about what this class brings. Um, let's start with... Uh, we'll just bounce this off of you and, and then come back to me. But who are a couple guys you think are maybe underrated in this class um, that that are rated on the lower half end, uh, but guys that you think can achieve above their level? Um, that's a pretty good question. I'm pulling up the commit list right now, but one that immediately jumps out is Cole Hudson. You know, this this offensive line group is is, is super solid. It's got guys up top like Kelvin Banks and Devon Campbell. Um, and it's also just got some massive bodies like uh, uh, like Malik Ogbo. But I think Cole Hudson is a guy that after maybe a year or two of development can come in and be a really, really strong interior offensive lineman for this group. You know, I think he has a lot of upside. I think he has a lot of potential. Um, he's an early enrollee, so he's already getting to work. Um, I know you're a big fan of Cole. Great kid. Um, kind of looking around Chris Ross as well, uh, coming in on the defensive line group. You know, Justice Finkley is getting a lot of the, a lot of the attention right now when we talk about this defensive line group. But I think Chris Ross is more of the guys that, you know, you maybe don't think about. I think he can come in, 
uh, play an interior defensive line role in maybe year two or year three and, and be really good at doing that. I think he has NFL potential at the end of the day. Uh, Ethan Burke, of course, as well. Um, I mean, he's just oozing with upside. Um, we are we don't know what he's fully capable of yet, uh, just based on how new he is to the game. So I'll leave it with those three so I don't take any of yours. But those are three guys that immediately jump out. Yeah, to mention Burke, I really like the two, actually the two guys, the lowest rated guys in the class who aren't specialists, Xavier Bryce and Savion Red are both guys who I think could be long-term players. I really love Xavier Bryce's potential. Long frame, played corners, played on offense, uh, a lot of athleticism there. He's raw. He needs to be physically developed quite a bit, but I think he's a guy uh, that could be a potential game changer uh, in the secondary. And then Savion Red is you know, disregard the rating. There have been a lot of kids like Savian Red get away to other colleges from Texas and, and people to think, well, why didn't Texas recruit that kid? When you're talking about just football playing ability, his ability to make plays in the open field um, and, and kind of play a variety of roles from receiver to running back. I think you could even put him in packages where he's lined up at quarterback, like in some sort of wildcat role. I love the addition of Savian Red, I think that that he's got, you know, some special tools that you really can't teach. Who do you think, who would you say are probably your early guys? Uh, let's go non-quarterback here, but guys who you think could make an early impact on the field. Um, based, are we talking just early enrollees or guys overall? Uh, any of them. Okay. Um, obviously, it jumps out the, on the offensive line, Kelvin Banks and Devon Gamble. But, you know, if we're kind of looking around and trying to find some other guys, um, you know, the DB group, I feel like those guys can come in, especially the early enrollees, and get a legitimate ch chance of starting. I think B.J. Allen, I think if he has a really good, you know, spring session and, and comes in in the, in the uh, summer camp and does the same thing, then, you know, he could get some solid playing time in year one. Um, Terrence Brooks as well. Um, you can kind of look at what he is and, you know, the potential that he has. I think he's a guy that can come in and play early. And I'm also curious just based based on him not playing his senior year, how does Jadon Blue, you know, um, you know, kind of assimilate with his team? How does he get on campus and, you know, get ready to start playing football again? And if he starts playing to the level that he was playing in his junior year, how do they find a spot on the field for him? So because with a talent like that, based on what we see saw in his junior year, you almost got, have to find a place to put him on the field. I know that running back room is very crowded, especially next year. But, you know, based on what he is, you have to find a way to get him, get him on the field somehow. Yeah, I agree. I think Jalen Gilbo is another guy who could factor into that early playing conversation. For me, I think that we maybe see that up front on the defensive side of the ball. Um, two guys that stand out to me are probably the two most high-profile out-of-state recruits that that Texas was able to nab, and that's uh, Jamon Tapp and Justice Finkley. I think both those guys bring something different off the edge. Physically, they're they're more developed. Um, and I think that both and with Finkley already on campus, Tap just has, uh, I think, a lot of special ability. And there aren't a lot of answers at Edge for Texas right now. There aren't a lot of pass rushers that you absolutely love on this roster. So I definitely think that those are two guys to definitely uh, watch out for. Who do you think? I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. I mean, obviously, but we, we should mention the, the transfer class as well. I think all those guys will make immediate impacts. Uh, maybe none more than Isaiah Neor, who probably steps into a starting role at receiver uh, pretty quickly. But um, who do you think is the guy that we're maybe not thinking about here? And maybe we'll just call this highest ceiling, right? But could be kind of a, a you know, come from out of nowhere to be a first round pick and make 
our our rankings guys really kind of uh regret that uh regret that uh ranking that's a really good question now i'm going through here um you know i i always heard great things um you know just kind of as his season went on from aaron bryant the defensive lineman out of mississippi i heard great things and um, now he's coming on campus and, you know, we haven't heard anything bad about the defensive line group so far uh, with the guys that are already coming in on campus. We've heard they're all really athletic and, you know, Aaron Bryant, you know, that's a guy that being an out of state commit, a lot of people maybe forgot about and could possibly jump in and, and play a you know big role next year. You know, that was kind of what, um, you know, Baron Sorrell, I completely forgot that Texas signed him in the February signing period last year until he got on the field. Uh, I think it was like game two. And whenever he came onto the field, he was balling. I mean, you could arguably say that he was one of the more exciting true freshmen that touched the field last year for Texas and on a consistent basis. So I'm going to go Aaron Bryant. So good. I like that one. I'm going to go up front and we'll go back to a guy you talked about previously, Ethan Burke. Um, I just love the ceiling. I think that, you know, for our evaluators and, and, for our evaluators, it's more of a question of what can his frame truly hold? Because it isn't just about height. It is about how wide the frame is and how wide shoulders are and things like that. And also just football experience. You know, Burke has, has only been playing for a couple of years. So, um, but I do think he does have, you know, some scary ability and, and just that size that you cannot teach. I think that Burke could be that guy. Uh, the, and and I think talking to our evaluators, they feel that very much that Burt could be the guy to make them really regret things um, in the next couple of years. And I'll also mention Cameron Williams. You know, I the Duncanville offensive tackle is not he doesn't have a profile that I love to see an offensive lineman. I think that he's done some work to get his body shaped down. But when you look at his size and and guys on the offensive line. I think it kind of goes either way, but if it goes the positive route, I think that it, it's a smashing success. So um, that's those are the two I would probably pick for there. Anything um, – I'm trying to think anything else stand out about this group. Um, you got a favorite kid out of this class? Easily, Jay Montab. Yeah, that's 100%. a good one. I've got a few um, – few we got to know it's it's really hard for me to pick against Malik Murphy uh yeah, I mean for sure like we talked about it Cole Hudson and I were really close um Jalen Gilbo and I were really close uh you know there's a lot of kids I really Connor Robertson and I were really close there's a lot of kids I really like in this class uh really got along well with uh enjoyed talking with them but for me you know just getting to know Malik Murphy this year understanding his kind of mind frame and, and being able to see him persevere and get to, you know, he told people, I'm going to bring a state title to Sarah and he did it. And uh, I just love that story. So, um, you know, no disrespect to any of those others in the class, but uh, I, I will say Malik Murphy is my guy there. Any parting thoughts on this class before we, before we kind of put it to bed and, and look forward to 2023? I'd like to add on just to a couple of you know kids I just enjoyed covering. Uh, you can look at Brennan Thompson handled his recruitment probably the best of anybody uh, in the entire cycle. Um, just was really you know methodical about it. Came down to his decision, and I think he I feel like he did it the right way and went about it the right way. And also just comes from a really good family. He's really determined. Um, you know I'm excited what, for what he can bring. Kelvin Banks of another one that's just you know comes from a really good family, really good kid. Um, and Malik Ogbo, the nicest person on the planet, trademark that, um, he's just incredible. Um, so there's just really good high character guys all the way, you know, around this class. I feel like that'll end up, 
you know, really helping that locker room culture that I think Steve Sarkeesian was also trying to overhaul this year. All right. Well, that puts to bed the 2022 cycle, which I would say as a cycle, Nick, I know you haven't been doing this long. Um, I, so it, I would guess it has to have been the most difficult cycle you've ever covered because it was <laughs> easily the most difficult cycle I've ever covered. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I, I think, you know, as we look back, whenever visits opened up on June 1st, we sh we did anticipate how crazy it was going to get. But I don't think anybody in the industry could quite estimate how crazy it was going to get and how quick things were able to change on the flip of a dime. Um, but, you know, I, I'm proud of the way we handled it. I'm proud of the way it ended up in the end, how we how we were you know able to do our job. Um, but, yeah, the summer was was a crazy time. But as it you know kind of played out, um, you know, I think it ended up being a successful cycle. Yep. So uh, good night, Sweet Prince 2022. We will uh, put you to bed. And we will not get, miss you. <laughs> we will not miss you. And we will get ready for 2023. Um, and to get ready for that, we're going to have a couple questions on 2023 inside of our mailbag. Uh, for the folks listening on the podcast, we're going to take a short break here. All right. It is our monthly edition of the mailbag. Um, as always, we'll put the questions up over on the Horns 24-7 message board, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the request thread over on the Horns 24-7 message board. Um, and uh, we'll get your questions up there and we'll answer them on the show. Uh, let's start with our first question. Uh, and that comes to us from Red Wings EK028. Uh, Does Texas look good for safety Derek Williams, a cornerback, Jordan Matthews from Louisiana? I don't want to say look good but i think that they've put themselves in a nice position with both um you know they they've been able to host both on campus uh, multiple times i think matthews had a lot of positives coming out of his recent texas visit terry joseph i think has done a good job with both of them and there is opportunity there um and so i i'm not ready to declare texas a leader or anything but i do think they're they're in good standing with both of those guys yeah, like Mike said, I, I'm not even close to, you know, declaring Texas a leader. But, um, you know, I think they end up being in that final grouping. I think they can get an official visit for both of these guys if they end up taking, you know, all five. Um, these are both guys that have made two trips to Austin. Um, you know, we've heard buzz on Derek Williams in the past as well. Um, you know, I, if I'd have to rank which one Texas looks probably better for, I think it's slight advantage to Derek Williams. But there, there's there's a lot still to play out in those recruitments. LSU is going to be tough in those recruitments, of course. Uh, Texas A&M is really involved for Jordan Matthews. Alabama is going to come in and get involved. And you can't ever discount Florida as well, um, especially with the Louisiana guys right now. So um, while Texas does have a crowded feel for both of those guys, I think they're, uh, you know, at least in that top grouping. All right. Our next question comes to us from Touchdown Horns 34. How high is the confidence in the Longhorns being able, being in the pole position to land edge Colton Vasek? Um, so we talked about Ethan Burke in the last uh, last segment. If you watched Westlake play this year, you saw two towering defensive ends. Burke was one of them. Vasek is the other. Uh, Vasek probably the more experienced and better football player, I would say, out of the two. I think Texas needed to offer Vosick when they did. Um, he was kind of starting to see his stock rise. Uh, he is a Texas legacy. His dad played at Texas. Um, and so I think all those things are in their favor, certainly. Um, and they got it in at the right time. Now, Colton has said many times that he has got an open process here. He is going to take his time. His recruitment is um, at a point where – he, he doesn't want to be considered a lock to anybody. So we'll kind of see how it plays out through the spring. It, look, Texas is usually in good shape with Westlake kids, especially kids who are legacies. So we'll see how that plays out. But I, I think 
you know, you should be confident, but this one is definitely not a lock of any sort. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think they're going to be in that top grouping regardless of what happens. But um, kind of looking at some other schools that come in and, and be contenders, uh, you got Michigan, uh, who was in early um, whenever uh, Ethan Burke was co committed to Michigan. Uh, you also got Texas A&M and USC. You know, those are, those are going to be two schools that I would imagine would go after Vasek pretty hard. But, um, you know, I think Texas ends up in that final grouping. I think they at least get an official visit out of it. Um, saying they're in the pole position, you know, I think that might be I don't know. I just feel like it's too early. But if I had to put one, I think I would put Texas. All right. Our next question comes to us from TGV777. Outside of Arch Manning, who is the most important prospect in the 2023 class? I am going to go inside the state of Texas um, and say Anthony Hill is probably the most important outside of Arch Manning, you need to have your Arch Manning for the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's what Anthony Hill could be. I mean, he's a guy that a lot of people like. They've got a lot of appreciation for the way he plays ball. Um, he is a guy who could step on the field immediately at linebacker, whether it be playing inside or playing on the edge. I think he can do both. I think that for me, Hill is the guy that could be that potential bell cow for defensive recruits to rally around. So I would say outside of Manning, he's probably the most important prospect in the 23 class. I had a feeling we were going to have the same answer. Yeah, mine's definitely Anthony Hill. But since you already talked about it, I'll just pick another one. I think JV and Taviano is going to be really important as well. You know, that's one of the better DBs um, that I've seen in, in my short time doing this, um, you know, coming out of the high school level. Uh, he's just a he's a freak physically. He's really good in coverage, um, both zone and man. Um, you know, I, I think he's a guy that can step on a college campus and play day one. So uh, Taviano for sure, especially if they're trying to rehaul that secondary. All right. Our next question comes to us from, uh, again, from Touchdown Horns 34. Uh, who is the top linebacker target for Texas in the 23 class that takes us right into it? I, I think we could probably talk about a couple of linebacker targets here. Yeah. So, we, of course, we mentioned Anthony Hill. I think Samaje Burrell uh, from North Crowley is right up there as well. Depending on where you see Carson Dean, is he an edge guy? Is he an inside guy? I think he could be in there. And then when you look outside of the state, um, you know, guys like Leona LaFowle, who, who uh, Nick can tell you more about, talked about last week on the podcast. I think that one thing that didn't worry me about this class as linebacker takes is that next year is so is, is a lot more stacked at the linebacker position. There is a lot more in-state talent available to Texas. Um and probably they're in a lot better shape without a state guys. So uh, I think that there are a lot of possibilities in 23. Um, it's just going to come down to landing them. Yeah, absolutely. We, we mentioned Anthony Hill, um, you know, Jaden Osbury. I think that's someone Texas would love to get in the mix for um, out, of, out of Louisiana. You mentioned Leona Leifau. You know, I think Texas secures an official visit at the end of the day from him. Uh, Samaje Burrell, they were in very early on him. I feel like that'll, uh, that'll help down the stretch now that these big schools are getting involved. But you could also look at edge guys that I feel like maybe have some, you know, linebacker potential. You got to see Leacana out of Utah. Um, you also got uh, Darian Gillette and Brad Spence here in the state of Texas. You know, I feel like there's a potential to maybe move them back. Maybe you have a little bit more perspective on that. But um, I feel like there's a lot of options here in the state of Texas at linebacker and edge. And I feel like all, a lot of those guys have some versatility as well. Yeah, and I think that that's certainly what Texas looks for, guys that have potential to play both edge and inside and kind of be versatile enough to move around. All right, our next question comes to us from uh, Ramasock88. 
are there 2023 prospects or later who are close to committing to Texas? I think uh, if you want to look at leans, we've talked a little about those guys in the past couple of weeks. Two guys I would probably single out, um, Ashton Porter from Cy Ranch, who I think is is probably leaning a little bit more to Texas than anywhere else. And I would say Jaden Greathouse, even though Greathouse is planning some visits, I do think Texas is in a really good position with both those guys. Now, I wouldn't, I have no clue if they're close to committing to Texas. I don't know what their personal timelines are as of right now. Um, I would just say that if I had to put money down, those would probably be the two guys I'd put money on. Archman, no, I'm playing guys. <laughs> um, looking around the board, you mentioned Ashton Porter and Jaden Greathouse. Yeah, those are both, um, you know, solid picks. Um, I would also just throw in, um, I was throwing Lafayette Cowaway, the tight end out of Arlington, Sam Houston. You know, I feel like that's guy. That's a guy that Texas could certainly grab here in the spring. Uh, Vernon Glover, you know, that's another guy that I feel like, you know, his timeline could be shortened quite a bit. Um, but, you know, again, the, the I feel like the timelines are going to be, um, you know, more figured out once official visits start on April 1st. I think recruits will really start to get an idea of what exactly their timeline will be. Um, but as we see it right now, if I had to pick maybe two that I think could pop in the spring, I'd say Ashton Porter, and I'd probably say Greathouse, yeah, after he gets some visits done. All right. Um, I, I think you could throw a couple other guys in there. I think Connor Stroke could go in there, although, yeah, I mean, that's going to sure. be a little tougher fight. I think Jaden Chapman's in there. I think Ian Reed could be in there. So uh, good news for, for those of you who like offensive linemen, I think, any of those guys. All right, Nick, we have a Texas high school football question next. Uh oh. What excites you coming out of the upcoming UIL realignment from Green 89? I would say for me, it, this is a cop-out. It's going to sound like a cop-out answer, right? It's going to be like, well, you, you like this artist. What what real, what real albums of his do you like? And it's like, I, you know, I kind of celebrate the entire catalog, right? I like the entire thing. I, it's For me, it's the entire thing, right? It's like I, I really love seeing um, – I guess if I had to look, kind of boil it down to one thing, and, and I saw Matt Step tweet about this earlier, is everybody gets so focused on their districts. And you do have to play out of your district before you can worry about your region. But to me, the region is the most important thing. And, and those schools that are always kind of live on the line between one region or another, I think that's probably what excites me the most, um, kind of seeing a, a school that – you know, is mid-level in, in region two, but could be really strong in region three, get pushed to region three to kind of see how it shapes the potential playoffs uh, from there. So that's kind of what I want to see is those borderline teams and, and kind of where they go. Yeah, I agree. The whole spectacle definitely excites me. But if the number one thing I am looking forward to is seeing where those Rockwell ISD schools fall. Sounds like Highland Park might get thrown in a district with them this year for these next two years. If so, me and Guy Frazier are going to have a lot of battles on this podcast here in the future. So if that happens, we're throwing a party on Thursday night. You'll be busy on Thursday tracking the 200 teams that you claim and where, they, <laughs> where they ended up. Um, yeah. All right. Our next question, and it's our last question, and I had to hit him up before the show. To make sure you got it in comes from Charles Daniels. Of the 2023 prospects, who fits in these categories? Most likely to succeed, class favorite, class comedian and most likely to break Texas fans' heart. Most likely to succeed, I'm going to say Anthony Hill. I, I just I, – I love the ability. Um, I love the uh, – I, I love his mentality. He's a smart kid. He's a really hard worker. You, you won't hear coaches say a bad word about him. He's extremely coachable. Um, so I will say Anthony Hill as the most likely to succeed. My class favorite – 
That's a good question. Uh, um, I am going to say my class favorite would probably be. And I, I guess I don't know what, what we're classifying as favorite, but. Um, yeah, are we talking on the field or off the field here? I would guess it is like kind of the guy like the Derek Brown of the class, right? That like people just love the personality and, and everything like that. Well, you know what? Let me go with uh, with John T. Cook. I think John T. Cook could develop into that class favorite type um, if he was, you know, depending on which way his decision goes. If he's committed somewhere else yeah. and tweeting, like I think he might, he might become the class villain. Um, class comedian, uh, boy, John T. Cook would be a good uh, a <laughs> good candidate for that as well. I would say. Um, who stands out as a class comedian to me in this group? Um, you know what? I don't. I don't have a guy. I don't have a guy off the top of my head that that stands out as a class comedian. Um, I think. Uh, I think Cook could fit that as well. Um, maybe. Maybe. Uh, Maybe Ruben Owens. This is a quiet class now that I look at it. I'm looking at this top group, yeah. and I'm like, these guys are all kind of quiet outside of Jonte. Um, and then most <laughs> most likely to break Texas fans' hearts, I got to say David Hicks. Um, and I don't know. Maybe you mean break hearts as in, like, kind of lead them on and then commit elsewhere. But David Hicks, Nick, and I wrote kind of about a couple of guys Texas need to catch up on the other day. Um, you know, both of us heard when Texas offered that, hey, this is a school that would be really strong and a childhood favorite, all those sorts of things. Really, if you look at I, nobody's told me anything about J David Hicks that, that's negative. But if you look at the actions of a recruit, he's made multiple visits to other schools, mainly Oklahoma and A&M, and really hasn't been back to Texas since last summer. Um, so, you know, I think he could be the one. Yeah. Um, okay. Most likely to succeed. I'm battling here between David Hicks and Anthony Hill. I feel like you can't go wrong with either of those guys. I feel like both of those guys could be first round NFL draft picks. Um, class favorite. That's kind of tough. I have a couple as well. Um, Ruben Owens, I, you know, I've known the family for a couple of years, so, you know, that's an easy pick. Um, Ryan Yates is another one, just a, a really awesome kid. Uh, a lot of fun. A big, big Ryan Yates guy. You want to add on to that, Mike? He could have been class comedian. Yeah. He could have been too. He, yeah. he very well could have been. Um, and also if we're talking on the field class favorite, uh, you know, if we're getting, if we're, I mean, Arch Manning, Ruben Owens, JV Taviano, those are the five stars. Of course, those are going to be guys, but you know, I'm really, really starting to like Bravion Rogers. I'm excited to see him in the seven on seven season and really see what he can bring, uh, you know, in the secondary. Um, you know, I feel like that's a guy with a lot of upside right now. Class comedian. I think it's over and beyond, uh, John Tay cook. Um, He's just, he's hilarious. There's, I feel like we have so many John Tay quotes, like in the backs of our minds from, from past times that some of them have been far from reaching the internet. So he's a, he's a funny dude. Uh, most likely to break Texas fans hearts at the end of the day. I was also going to say David Hicks. Um, trying to think of maybe a couple of others uh, and don't take this as law by any means. There's still a lot to develop in these recruitments, but um, you know, maybe, maybe JV and Taviano, you know, I feel like Texas needs to do a little bit of catch up there, but I feel like they're still in that top grouping, but I don't think it was as uh, maybe as easy as we maybe thought it would have been this time last year. Yep. And that is going to do it for the mailbag. We appreciate you guys for sitting in those questions. Nick, anything to add before we get out of here today? 
Uh, looks like we might have a busy weekend, depending on snow. If, if we're not uh, dealing with a snowpocalypse, I guess by the time you're listening to this, you already know that answer. But uh, if it's not as crazy as it was last year, then hopefully we're covering some seven on seven this weekend. It'll be my first seven on seven tournament of the season. I don't know about yours, Mike, is it? Yeah, it'll be number one yeah. for me. Pylon Dallas and Hero is also in Dallas. Yeah. So we've actually got two tournaments going on uh, that we're going to be at. So uh, pray for us because I will probably be out there in snow pants and uh, in a parka because I hate the cold so much. So um, for those of I you, can wear a hoodie. I should, I should make this my annual soapbox for like uh, media guys who don't typically recover, recruit, cover recruiting um, and uh, like to come in out of nowhere around signing day to get that clout um, and uh, then go away. I usually always say like my main example uh, is if you're not willing to stand on a field when it's 110 degrees in the summer to watch some kid train, like I don't want to hear your opinion on signing day. Um, <laughs> I am now going to change it to if you're not going to freeze to death to watch seven on seven in February, I don't want to hear your opinion on signing day. Yeah. Um, so we will uh, pray for us, please, because uh, I am like dreading this weekend. Uh, I if might already load a tweet in the draft. I might already load a tweet in drafts uh, on for Saturday. Yeah, where are all the reporters that came in on signing day? We got fifteen degree weather out here yeah, to join us. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, we will see you guys next week. We appreciate you for playing along, uh, interacting with the show. Of course, we love to do the mailbag. We'll try to get to that again the next month. Uh, for Nick Harris, I'm Mike Roach. Thank you to Taylor Estes for producing. We'll see you guys next week.